You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 235 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, the Bruins defeated the Detroit Red Wings 4 1 at TD Garden and now 7 0 1 on the season. Opening shift. Scott, let's start with you. David Pasternak's doing it again. Uh, eight goals in eight games, 13 points. Uh, he's tied for second in the NHL in goals, tied for third in points. He's so far ahead of – he has more goals through eight games this year than he did last year when he obviously ended up with 61. And, you know, I think people wondered whether it be – some sort of step back with him with David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron both gone, you know, the two centers he's obviously played the overwhelming majority of his career with. Well, no step back so far. And he's doing it with, I would say, you know, playing on a line that with Marshan Zaka, that is still finding its chemistry. I think Zaka is still settling into his role as number one center. Uh, he isn't really lighting it up on the power play. He only has one power play goal so far. He does have three power play assists. But, yeah, I mean, two goals and an assist against Detroit. Another one on a penalty shot where, you know, he gets a breakaway four and four, ends up with the penalty shot, seals it with the empty netter on a bank shot off the boards at center ice. Just keeps finding different ways to score no matter who he's with, no matter the situation. And, you know, I think eventually he's going to start. That line's going to score more. He'll score more in the power plays. So, um, yeah, no no drop-off for anyone who was worried about that. My opening shift? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. I'm sorry. Um, so my opening shift has to do with the fact that uh, next game tomorrow, um, Monday night, is technically Matt Patra's ninth game, uh, which would mean the last game of his tryout period. Um, so obviously we're going to keep an eye on him, though. I think the decision is already made. Um, we've said it many times on here before. Patra right now is the Bruins' third leading scorer behind Marshawn and Pasternak. Um, they don't have any other option besides to keep him. He's made it impossible for them to send him down, and they just do not have another person that can play in that position. I, I think that their lineup right now has been clicking obviously they're they don't even have regulation loss yet so don't don't fix what isn't broken and send him anywhere he is not going to learn as much as he's going to learn from being in the nhl he's clearly nhl ready um technically the last game that of the nine day trial period um 
but I think he's already sealed the spot. So. I think we all agree on that one. And, and there's definitely more to discuss regarding Patra as we go forward in this episode. For me, I'm going to piggyback off of Scott's opening shift a little bit. And David Pashnak has been amazing, obviously. And they are going to need him to be their best offensive player and, and, and produce as so. That, that in mind, I simply wonder if, if the Bruins offense uh, is, is relying too heavily on David Pasternak. Not that he shouldn't be their leading scorer and one of the top scorers in the league, but I want to say, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I saw it last night floating around somewhere, and I thought it may have been Scott, so, but maybe not. Um, I think Pasternak's, he's, he's involved in around, around 50% of the Bruins' total offense. <clears throat> It's, it's exactly 50%. He has 13 points. They have 26 goals as a team. There you go. So I guess my my simple question is, and maybe this is where we start, but is that is it too small of a sample size, or is this probably going to continue where there, this is kind of how he's going to figure in? If that's the case, is that too much uh, reliance on, on, on one player offensively? Say he gets hurt. It, it is if it continues like this, like he can't, you can't reasonably expect someone to be responsible for literally half your offense. You know, I was looking back last year, Pasternak was involved in 37.5% of their goals. Uh, even Connor McDavid and Edmonton with the historic season he had was under 50% of Oilers goals that he was involved in. So that's not sustainable, but I think for now, I feel like this is kind of what was expected. It's like this team's going to take a little bit to figure figure things out offensively. All all new lines finding chemistry, uh, new players being brought in, learning the system. Whether it's free agents, whether it's a rookie like Patra or Beecher, injuries on the fourth line has you know affected their depth. Not that you're counting on the fourth line for a lot of goals, but um, you know, work to be done there. Defensemen haven't really been contributing goal-wise very much. You know, I guess just very recently, like McAvoy scored his first goal on Saturday. Grizzly had his first goal the game before. But, yeah, they're still waiting for all that to fall into place. And it's like, in the meantime, until that happens, Pasternak needed to be the one consistent, reliable scoring threat. And he has been. So I think you know, ideally other guys start picking up their, their end of the bargain and get going a little bit more. And then you don't have to rely on Pasenak as much as they are. And I think that will happen, but yes, if it continues the way it has been, I think that's not a season long sustainable rest. And I have an idea for other teams. Um, How about don't give Pasenak a penalty shot? because um, you're just giving him a free goal at this point with the way he's been able to score on those. So um, yet another beautiful one uh, again on Saturday. So I, you see that, and that's a move he's done before. Um, and then he also had the one earlier in the season where he kind of hit it behind his leg and then ripped it. And just, just don't just, I know you you kind of need to hook him and slash him as he's crashing the net on a breakaway, but he's going to score on the penalty shot anyway. So. Yeah, it's it's uh you mentioned the, the the one he had against Nashville. This one against Detroit equally as filthy. It's 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 
It's textbook. It couldn't. It couldn't be prettier. It, you, you even hear the the sound of it hitting the back the back bar top shelf. It's like, my God, the the, the kid knows how to finish for sure. And and you know you watch it in in slow motion when like you watch the replay. You watch him come down and just it's all premeditated. And it's it it honestly makes it it's harder when it's premeditated. I feel like when you when you go down on a breakaway, sometimes you see what the goalie's giving you, but but Pasternak like, and I'm sure there's part of that. But he goes down and like he knows he's gonna like pump fake before he it's all premeditated and to to execute it, it's just it's just really impressive. He makes it look easy is the best way I can describe it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked to the goalies, like the Bruins goalies as well. And he, they after games where he does that and they're like, Yeah, he beats us every time on that shot. Like he every time he practices that shot, he beats us. <laughs> and they know it's coming. Which which isn't actually true because I see them practice penalty shots of practice and he, he doesn't score every single time, believe it or not. Yeah, well, but, but also, he doesn't try as hard in practice. So. Um, I think he's trying to score. But, it, yeah, but certainly the two he's pulled off in games so far have been, like, literally unstoppable. Like, no, no goal is doing anything about either one of those. So, if he's executing like that, yeah, it's um, – n- no one's doing anything. Like, and by the way, set a record. This is now the fastest – any player in history has scored two penalty shot goals in a season uh, yeah, by maybe 12. Just don't, maybe just don't give them. Them. Yeah. <laughs> but by 12 games, the previous record was 20 games by it was Brian Ralston when he was in Minnesota. Um, so yeah, just, you know, and I think like, if you look at it, it's like, okay, well, two of his goals are penalty shot goals. Two of his goals are empty netters. You could say like, Oh, that's not really a sustainable way to score. I would just push back and say like, he's going to start scoring more other ways because so far he's actually getting more according to natural stat trick. He's getting more scoring chances per 60 minutes at five on five this season than last season. The big difference is he's playing two minutes fewer per game because every Bruins game seems to turn to a special teams fest and there aren't as many five on five minutes to go around. So that'll level off at some point. He'll get more five on five minutes and score more five on five goals. And on the power play, you know, one goal on, I think it's 11 shots he's taken on the power play. Like, that's going to go up. Both the shots and the goals will go up. He'll get more chances as they continue to figure out the power play, which I think has started to look better. And right now, he's sort of settled into more of a setup role. Like, he's the one, you know, on the power play goal Saturday night, he's the one making the scene pass across the marsh and. Martian has a shot, produces a rebound for Zaka to bury. It's like at some point, teams will start to realize they have to take away other stuff if the Bruins are executing, and then Pasternak gets freed up again. So I think those goals in, in the usual ways that he scores are going to go up even, you know, as like the, like, yeah, like I'm not expecting him to score 20 penalty shot goals this season. So, But, um, like, I, I don't see any reason why, like, I mean, he could get plenty more empty net goals. If the Bruins keep winning and they they keep being up by one or two goals at the end of the game, forcing the other team to take their goalie out, you're just going to keep putting Pasternak out there for that. Unless you're um, a certain radio host that thinks it's a it's a bad idea to put your best goal scorer on the ice when uh, yeah, well, don't get. don't you know that they only do it to pad his stats, not yeah, just to, to try to win hockey stats. games because it's win. actually it's actually bad to score empty net goals. That's not what you want to do when the net cowards goes. cowards. <laughs> So a player that hasn't shared a lot of ice time with 
Pasternak this year on the power play or five on five is Jake DeBrusque. And he's a player that has been struggling offensively. And, you know, if he's to pick up his offensive game, there's some production without Pasternak on the ice that he's including uh, in the scoring production. And, you know, he, I, I think, I think DeBrusque's two points in seven games is, uh, it's a small reason why there's been a lack of production outside of Pasternak um, and company. Like, He's played seven games, two points. I, I want to double check. I think both are assists. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah two, both are assists. Yeah, two assists in seven games. Obviously, the one game he missed was not due to injury. It was because of him being late to a team meeting, so that's his own fault. And, you know, you look at Milan Lucic, he's played four games because he got hurt back in California, and, and he has the same amount of points as Jake DeBrusque in three less games. That's not good enough. So, um how, how do you feel? How do you feel DeBrusque has played? I mean, I mean, last night against Detroit, like I thought there were times he played well, but again, especially for him, he's a top six forward. Like I've said this in the past, but, and a lot of times actually pertaining to him a few years ago, but, but effort is the bare minimum. That's a bare minimum expectation uh, when you're a professional athlete. So like, I, I don't want to like, you know, you know, throw a parade because I think he's played hard in a few shifts. Like you still got to, produce so how do you guys feel debrusque has been so far this year yeah i think you're you're right to like distinguish like i think the effort's been there for him and i think that line has looked good him potter and geeky i think i think they're playing good hockey and they have scored a couple goals it's just debrusque hasn't gotten a point maybe in one of them i think um one he made the key play to set up but didn't get an assist i think that was the anaheim game where he started the the game in Anaheim where he started to break out with some good work in the D zone and, you know, would have had the third assist if that was a thing, but obviously it's not. So um, I think the goals will come and I think more points will come. I'm not super worried about it right now. He is second on the team in individual five on five scoring chances behind Pasternak. Some of those are going to start going in. We know he's a pretty good finisher. Um, my one concern is the last two games, he has one total shot on goal. He last year, he averaged about three shots in goal per game this year. He's at around two. So that's got to go up. And I do wonder if some of that is like, Oh, you know, where he was taking a little more, a few more shots early in the year and they weren't going in is he, does it kind of creep in that I have to wait for the perfect shot now or like, because to me, that's sort of like the wrong direction to take it when the puck's not going in, you know, I think like you got to just keep shooting and shoot your way out of it. So again, small sample, it's only two games, but that I would like to see change. Like I'd, I'd like to see him come out Monday night and have three, four, five shots. Brian, we, we were talking about it on the last podcast on Friday. I said, Pavel Zaka had to shoot more. He comes out Saturday, six shots on goal and a goal. Like, I w- that's what I want to see from DeBrusque Monday night. Like, do do that. Yeah, I don't see anything that like makes me concerned that this is going to last a long time. 
I think that he, and you know, I'm, I'm trying, while you were talking, I was trying to come up like and think of specific times that he maybe passed up on a shot or like that was, you know, where, where you're sitting there like, why don't you just shoot that? I can't like off the top of my head, think of anything specific. Sometimes the game just dictates a pass and not a shot. And sometimes you just, you have to be a team player and slide the puck where it needs to go. And that's the better option. So um, he, I have not been concerned with, at all. I like how that line looks actually. Um, I would say the only thing that we've criticized about that line was just maybe at some point, if you're, you know, if you're a contender, maybe you add an, another top six winger and, and slide them in on the other side of that line instead of Kiki. But that like, really, I, I think that line is pretty serviceable right now. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and to preface, like I mentioned, like, I don't think Debrusque has played poorly. I do think it's a bit of a, you know him being snake bitten like the Anaheim game. Scott mentioned, you know, the first couple of minutes of the game, he 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 went down on a breakaway and, you know, put a dent in the post and then uh, factored in on a goal on a goal that he didn't get a point on, and then he did have a an, an assist on Potra's game winning goal. So, you know, the Anaheim game was good. I just think that last year, obviously he was playing really well. He was scoring a lot of points and. And certainly would have been on pace to to really have a breakout year offensively had he not missed whatever it was with that broken foot, maybe like a month or a month and a half or something like that. I don't really remember. But you know, he was playing alongside Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. So for him this year, I was really interested in seeing him potentially carry a line. Now, he started with Marchand and they're kind of apart right now. And Matt Patra is playing really well. But again, Jake Debrusque is I want to say he's 26, maybe 27 years old at this point. Like, I want to see him – like, Matt Patra is 19. Matt Patra shouldn't be the one carrying the line, and it's great that he is. But you watched you watch them out there. You watch Matt Patra, and Bridget, we'll get to this when we discuss your opening shift. Um, so I don't want to go too much into him right now, but he's just the best – he's, he's the best forward on the ice most of the time he's out there. And it's like, that should be Jake DeBrusque this far into his career. So I just want to see him step up more is all. I think this this is a good time to transition to that, honestly, because I think our DeBrusque. Well, can I, one more, sorry, just one more note on yeah. that. Part of that could be chemistry too, because we see like how much space Patra creates in the, in the offensive zone, separation, looks for passing lanes. I'm struggling to think of like how many times he's done that, you know, cut back, whatever, and the pass has gone to Jake DeBrusque. So that could be something where it's like, they just haven't quite figured out like either, either it's here's where DeBrusque wants to be and Patra should look for him there. Or here's where Patra wants to look for plays and DeBrusque to go there. Like that can still come for them. And I think if, if all of a sudden you're like, if you start seeing Patra setting Jake DeBrusque up in, in the slot for chances, that's going to turn into goals. So, um, you know, that was kind of just something I just thought of as we were talking through it. Also, the way that that line uh, rotates, you've mentioned this before, Patra sometimes finds himself as the net front guy, whereas that has been something DeBrusque has done in the past. So you're seeing Patra take up a little bit more time in that area. I think they're more evenly kind of ending up down there rather than maybe DeBrusque being that guy on a line. So he's not right in front of the goal, um, more more um, like a higher percentage than last year. So maybe that factors in. I also think the reason why 
you see the puck on Patras stick more often and, and why he is driving that line is just because that's the only way he knows how to play. And if he's going to be effective, then that's the role he has to have on that line. He has to be the one that's kind of making things move and like making things flow um, and finding the open guys and, and probably having the puck on his stick a bit more uh, just because that's how he's effective. That, 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 that's a good point, Bridget. So why don't we throw it back to you, Bridget, and you can kind of expound upon your, your opening shift here. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it kind of self-explanatory only in, in the way that I, we've covered it every single podcast and we've done how many since the season started uh, twice a week or three times a week. We just come on here and talk about how good he looks um, and how well he fits where he does. We, I mean, when you think about where he started the season, he started on the third line, but how long did that last? Now he's consistently the second line center. It almost feels like you couldn't have asked for this to happen at a better time that someone just happened to develop into the exact role you needed to fill. And you can't, you can't just get rid of that. Like this fell into your lap that he was perfect. He was the perfect solution and you had him in your system. You can't just be like, Oh no, you you can develop a little bit more somewhere else. It would be, it's, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. Yeah. And Jim Montgomery was asked after Saturday's game, and he said, you know, no final decision yet. Um, they don't, you know, they don't anticipate announcing anything until after his ninth game. But, you know, then in, like in the same answer, he said he's played great. He went on to say, you know, like just praised like every part of his game, said we've got a hockey player on our hands, like clearly loves what he's seen and, and for obvious reasons, like how could you not? So, um yeah, you know, from the Bruins' perspective, like, I guess I I get, you know, you don't announce something before you really have to, but it would be it would be stunning if they sent him back. And you know, from there, like the next conversation is does he does he last the whole year? Which I think, you know, you hope and expect him to, but you know, forty games is kind of another marker because at forty games it like trims a year off when he would first get to unrestricted free agency, which is, you know, like a whole other conversation we can have later, but like there is, there is like an effect there. So like if you send them back before 40 games, basically you'd have an extra year of team control. Um, I think that that's only on the table. If like he's worn down after 20 or 25 games and you're like, Oh, he really might not last a season. Um, but I don't really see that happening. I mean, yeah, he, he has definitely had some shifts where he's looked pretty winded by the end of it, including one late in Saturday night's game where he ended up out there for like almost two and a half minutes, I think. Yeah, um, I, I think anyone would be winded after that. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, you know, Andy has taken some hard hits. Uh, he got hammered from behind in that game. Um, yeah, I think it was that, Rasmussen. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Rasmussen is six foot six, got mm-hmm. knocked down by Kevin Shattenkirk and retaliated by hitting five foot eleven Matt Potter from behind. Um, you know, real, real tough guy play. Yeah, well, you know, I test aside, which tells everybody that Matt Potter belongs through eight games, heading into his final 
trial game here. He's, you know, fifth on the team in scoring with, with five points in eight games. He's a plus five. Uh, he's averaging around just under 15 minutes a night time on ice, uh, 43, 44% in the faceoff circle. And, you know, he's, I mean, Jim Montgomery had him out protecting a lead the other night and that says a lot. And, um, and, and beyond that, like, he just go. He 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 has he has. I don't know if edge is the right word, um, but he has some. Yeah, I'll, I'll say edge. He has some edge to his game. Like he go he goes to the dirty areas. He sticks his nose in there, and for somebody who it's their first month in the league at 19 years old, like, and and he and he's undersized, right? And 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 he's a skilled player. Like that's he's a gamer, and 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 so. Yeah, I mean everything. It's it's a no brainer. He's sticking around. He deserves to do it, and he's honestly been he's been one of their best. He's been one of their best players this month of the season. There's no other way to describe it. And he makes plays, and his skill, his skating is evident. I mean, his edge work is phenomenal. I didn't I didn't realize going into the year just how good his edge work was. It's it's Scott. You mentioned it last week. Uh, it's it's Marshand esque. Uh, the way he just like you know shakes defenders and and just buys time out there and. It's it's really impressive. He it looks like he's doing those figure eight those figure eight drills around the cones in the offensive zone. <laughs> he's just he's just buying himself time, and it's he's a very intelligent player. And and yeah, they they they've got a as Montgomery said, they've got our, themselves a hockey player for sure. Because of his edge work too, he creates space for himself. He creates shooting lanes and he creates passing lanes. Like I saw him make a few moves on the offensive zone on Saturday, where he's just he's making those little cuts. And all of a sudden, like he knows he's drawing defenders away from the passing lane. He wants to to try to slide it over across the ice. And to Scott and and Scott, you 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 called it out on online, but his there was one shift in particular where he's just multiple times just doing these these not soft, they're hard backhand saucer passes across the offensive zone, like you know, not not in a dangerous way, just. He, He's an amazing passer too. He's just—he's a very, very impressive. Nineteen years old, I think nineteen years old. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Yeah, and that that same shift that he had, like those multiple cutbacks and then really nice passes. I think two two of them were across the Hampus Lindholm, led directly to shots with people at the net front. Um, that same shift, like he had like another movie put on Defender where he again like reminds me of Marshan, where it's like a stutter step where he kind of. I think he was going to slow down and maybe like chip the puck in deep or something. And then just turned on the burners and like cut kind of turned the corner and got an edge on him and came down the boards with keeping possession. And it's like, yeah, stuff like that. It's just, it's, it's really hard to defend, especially if he gets, if he's matched up against a forward one-on-one, like most forwards aren't good enough to, um, you know, to keep up with them on, on moves like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really impressive. And, you know, he's, he, he's shooting when the shots there, like just everything he's getting better defensively. Um, you mentioned, you know, the way he, he battles and just doesn't give up on plays like that, that two and a half minute shift I talked about, he still ended up involved in the play that forced the turnover to finally get the clear at the end of a two and a half minute shift where it's like, he was clearly exhausted, but he just like he has that ability to just like dig deep and never give up. We've gotten to see in front of our own eyes how he's proved people wrong for the 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 
the drawbacks when people went in the preseason before we really had a chance to see him like a, a, a good sample size of him. The, the drawbacks people were saying were his size, um, his age, his, um, you know, maybe not having certain physical attributes, but like we've been able to see in front of our own eyes, how he compensates and how he's more than adept at dealing with everything at an NHL uh, pace and including NHL physicality. Um, and, and you, you, you have brought this up several times before too, Scott, his other thing was that maybe he should shoot more and he's the third leading scorer on the team right now. And we saw him do it in preseason and he's built on it in the regular season. And I'm like, I don't think, I don't think proud's the right word. Maybe just impressed with how he has been able to do it so consistently because it's like, all right, we saw it in the preseason and then he gets it. So he, he does well in his first game. He gets another look. Then he, he forces his way into getting another look, another look, another look. And then all of a sudden here he is and he's forced his way all the way into the opening night lineup and into the, the lineup for the rest of the season. I think he's just, proved everyone wrong that thought he wasn't ready for whatever reason he has. And you know what, for a 19 year old, sometimes that's a lot of pressure to, to be put under and you don't play your best, but he has this personality that I, I think Scott, you probably picked this up off of him too, but like being around him. He just like got the quiet confidence of someone who feels like he fits in and feels like part of the team and, and feels like he's exactly where he should be. Like to him, he doesn't think, oh, this is scary because he's like, ah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I've, I've liked the way his he's dealt with everything um, on the ice. And I think his personality has really um, done him some favors in terms of um, being ready for the occasion. I agree, Bridget. And, and Scott, you mentioned and Bridget, you just mentioned it as well. But uh, earlier in the preseason, how he just needs to shoot more. And, and yeah, he's he's tied for six with, I think, at least two other players, I think. He's tied for sixth in the team in shots on goal through the, through eight games so far. And I mean, you know, that, that's, that's not a stat that's going to like wow you, but it is, it is, it's notable considering his age and, and it's his first few, first few games here. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's incredible. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, you know, most, most kids his age, it's like when they're playing hockey, they're, they're taking pictures with their parents, you know, for a senior night in March, like in high school, like somewhere in Stoneham or, you know, Baraka Scott or wherever. It's like, it's like, that's how old he is. He's so young. He's like barely like just had prom if he even had one. Probably not. He's played, <laughs> no, because I think it would have timed out for like COVID or something. Like. Right, right. And and when you're when you're playing in June, I think they're just homeschool or something. I really don't know. But yeah. my point is it's incredible. He's, he's, still, just, he's still taking some classes too. So I, I don't know if that's going to continue to continue all year if he sticks in the NHL. But um, yeah, he's still doing like – online schooling um while he's here maybe for, college, for what yeah like canadian university oh maybe it's also just i don't know if you guys feel the same way and, and scott i know you're just a couple of years older than, than me and bridget but like for some reason and maybe it's because i'm i'm a little bit i'm older now but like matt watching matt potter at 19 he seems so much younger and like watching Sagan at 18 or Pashnak at 18 or certainly like, you know, Joe Thornton back in the day and Sam Snuff when I was really young, like maybe again, maybe it's because I'm older now and an 18, 19 year old to me is a, like literally looks like they're in fifth grade, but doesn't he just seem like a, a lot younger looking than like previous, like 18, I, 19 year olds, like Lucic and all them. I think that is just a getting older thing because like when I, and Bridget can probably attest to this too. Like when I go to college games, it's like, 
the, those kids seem like like middle schoolers and i'm like when i was in college covering them it's like they almost seemed like adults like like ahead of their years and now like you know i go to bu and like you know lane hudson's at the podium like at the press conference after the game and it's like he looks like 16 like it's so i i think that's just getting old in general we just we just think everyone looks looks really young yeah you want to know what it is it's when i know like i can't pass for that person's age like that's how i know like they're that's that's what i feel like they're much younger than me like if i'm like you, you I find that to retire your college student id like yeah get like discounts anymore you want to know what really got me during the pandemic i was at a providence college hockey game just as a fan and uh because that's what i do when i have a night off from hockey i go watch a hockey game usually um and so i was at the concession stand and i go to buy a beer and i had a mask on because it was during the pandemic and we were out of college and i did not get carded and i was like do my eyes just look like an old lady like do i have crow's feet and then like so when i got carded at the boston college game two weeks ago and i was like i was happy again i was like Guys, I do still look like a college kid, but they also um, carted the sixty-year-old lady behind me, so I didn't. Then I didn't feel as good. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kids in kids in college, it's one extremer than the next. Like they're they're they legit. Was a kid when I was in the college. It was my freshman orientation, and I was in the elevator with somebody. I I honest to God thought he was a teacher, and and he ended up being like one of my roommates for orientation. I was like, what the hell is this guy doing here? I thought he was a teacher. <laughs> um, so like you, it, when you're in college, you either literally look like you're like 17, 18, or you look like you're 35. I, I stand by that. There were kids in college that like, you know, they, they honestly looked like they were in their thirties and they were like 21, but. He's, and he is like this, he has this little like innocence about him too. I don't know if you saw yeah. any of like the videos out of the, um, the Halloween stuff and <laughs> different things that came when they were all dressed as Barbie and Ken. But he still has that like innocence too. I'm like, ah, I remember when I was 19. <laughs> I I didn't I barely. I didn't see that, but I but I do know what you're referring to as far as his personality because they, uh, you know, you see it on behind the B and stuff in the locker room. Like he just he look he's just giggly. He's always giggling, like you know, moving his head around. Like you know, he's kind of shy. But there was a really cool moment in the most recent episode where, uh, before the opener, they had. Um, Chara, Bergeron, Krejci, Tim Thomas, maybe Rask, like some of those guys go into the locker room, um, you know, just to be a presence or whatnot. And and Bergeron, afterwards, they all went around, shook everybody's hand. And there was a cool moment that they captured him behind to be a Bergeron shaking Patra's hand. And and you can see, like, you know, when, when Bergeron was playing, like every time somebody new came into the dressing room or you, or you just heard people talk about him, they would always say, like, anytime somebody was traded to Boston or traded away, like he was the first person to – wish some luck on in their next team or to welcome somebody in. Like you would text them right away, whatever. And obviously Bergeron just retired and has all the reason in the world to just kind of like, you know, chill and kind of block hockey out for a little bit. But like he went up to Patra and like, you know, call, like shook his hand and um, called him by his first name. Like, Hey Matt. And like, like congratulated him. It's like, it, you just see how personable he is even in retirement. And I thought that was a really cool moment. Cause like they shook hands and, and you see it on, on footage and, it's kind of like a cool little passing of the torch, unofficial passing of the torch moment that was kind of captured. Yeah, and another uh, good behind the scenes moment that the Bruins tweeted out was uh, after the after his two goals in the game in Anaheim, he he got the game puck 
And he like get, you know, if you get the game pack, you have to like get up and say something or whatever. And as soon as he started talking, like the whole team cheers to drown him out. And then, and then they're like, no, 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 like go ahead. And he starts talking again and they cheer, totally drown him out. So like ends up not giving a speech. Like, I just thought that was, that was funny. Like that's, that's good, good kind of rookie hazing, like completely harmless, just, you know, funny. Yeah. And, and actually I did ask him one of the post-game press conferences um, was maybe it was after the first game. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think it was after the first game. Like he's getting mobbed by the media immediately. Like he's been getting mobbed since all of a sudden he started playing well and people are like, who is this kid? And so there's cameras all around him. There's, you know, us, we're all around him. And he probably did the longest interview that day because of how many people wanted to talk to him. And I, I asked him, I was like, are you getting used to this yet? Like getting like completely mobbed and like, does it, does it, um, you know, how does it make you feel? And he was just like, no, I'm cool with it. I'm fine. <laughs> I figured. Also, little, little behind the scenes from the, uh, the Halloween day. Um, I think I'm pretty sure Swayman volunteered to be Barbie because we were in the locker room and, sometimes they get dressed like at warrior and I think they did this year, but it was after the media left. So we didn't actually get to see them in their costumes unless you, you know, went to the hospital visit. Um, but like, we were just kind of like asking guys like, you know, who, what the theme was, who they were being or whatever. And, you know, they said like Barbie and Ken and Beecher was like, someone has to be Barbie. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be their mirror Patra. Like they're going to make, one of the rookies beat Barbie and uh, ended up being Swayman who, like I said, I'm, I'm assuming just volunteered because that's the kind of person he is. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw the photo they tweeted out. Uh, Swayman, Swayman has a, has a wandering hand on just on Swayman has like a completely dead serious face, but his hand is like on Potter's like thigh, like upper thigh. thigh <laughs> upper thigh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I saw all those pictures. They make me laugh every time. Last year, they had Forbert dressed as Princess Peach, and he yeah. did not look happy about it. I don't think he chose to be Princess Peach, but... I don't think Derek Forbert has ever looked happy about anything, though, in fairness. No, that's true. But I have a very sad-looking picture of Derek Forbert on my phone in, in the, the Peach costume, so... Yeah, well, the you know, all these moments are great because whether it's the team drowning up Patra in his post-game speech um, or just, you know, Halloween endeavors, you know, obviously visiting uh, the children's hospital and stuff. Like, it's all, um, you know, it's good team bonding and stuff. Obviously, there's been a lot of turnover on the roster this year. So, uh, it's good It's good that they, that they can have these off-ice moments to kind of, you know, um, you know, continue to, to, to grow closer as a team. So, um, obviously, Bridget, you mentioned Halloween. I think this might be a nice little time to maybe – Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Now we're talking the queen of the, the queen of the podcast. Um, what, what was your, uh, was, was that for a party you've already been to or that you're going to, uh, this, or, this you, or are you trick or treating? Which one is it? I'm trick or treating. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I still trick or treat. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, this was my queen of hearts costume. Um, the fan used to have more cards on it. Uh, I, Broke, I broke it. Um, yeah, that was Queen of Hearts. Nice. Have a well, nice crown for those of you who can't see it on. <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening, I'm just. I'm, 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 just I'm, I'm, a, 
I'm being a a thirty something guy who wears a soccer jersey and a uh, a hat from a brewery. So yeah. Well, I, I I was just gonna say you're killing it. You're nailing it. I was just gonna say, Bridget. I don't know how on earth you convinced Scott to give you his costume from last year, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I'm glad he did. All right. So what I was saying though, was um, maybe this is, we can do a little, a little fun Halloween uh, theme segment, you know, trick or treat Bruins edition. And maybe we each go around and just think of one or the other, either a trick or a treat regarding this Bruins team, or maybe it's a league thing. Um, maybe to go, to give you guys some time, I'll go first for me. I'll go, I'll go treat. I'll be optimistic. I'm, I'm the optimistic one on this podcast. We all know that. Never, so, never. so, uh, I, I'll go treat. I'll say, look, obviously you lose Bergeron and Krejci last year or this past off season going into this year, you lose Taylor Hall, um, Tyler Bertuzzi, Orloff, Felino. No, you lose a lot of pieces, right? Well, they're still 7-0-1 to start the year. And you can say that they're deficient here and deficient there and that it could be smoke and mirrors because of a lack of difficulty on a schedule. But it's like, what, do you, what are they supposed to do? Lose because they're playing Chicago twice? Like, they're, they're playing NHL-caliber teams and they're taking care of business. And it's, there's a lot of turnover, and they're, they're learning to, to gel as a, literally as a new team. Um, so I'll say that's a, that's a treat. I mean, I don't think most people expect them to be seven seven zero one. Um, I want to say tied for like the most points of the first eight games of a season in their hundred year history or something like that. So that's a treat, and I'll and I'll start it off with that. Can, can I push that a little further as well? Is it a trick or is it a treat that they could stay as the number one team in the division and finish that way? You know, I mean, trick, like this. Well, is, I'll say, I'll put it this way. I'll say their schedule so far has been a treat to them. Um, you know, you could, for a team that like coming off last year's disappointment, having so many new faces, so much turnover. I know, like, there's a West Coast road trip in there, and that's, that's its own challenge. So I don't want to make it sound like there hasn't been any challenges, but, um, the schedule makers definitely did them some favors when it came to starting well and getting off on the right foot. Uh, so in that sense, I'll say like their record being this great, you know, seven Oh and one is, is a little bit of a trick, but they, they absolutely could like be the number one seed. They, they could win the division. They could have the best record. I don't think that's, I don't think that's insane. Like, I still think there's, you know, I think Toronto's going to be there. Tampa has started to play better after a slow start. Carolina's started picking up their last couple games. Rangers are off to a good start. Like, there's plenty of other good teams. I could also easily see them slipping to third, fourth, fifth in the conference. But, um, no, I don't think it's out of the question at all for them to be in contention for the number one seed. I mean, we all know that offensively the Bruins are – you know, we think they could be a little bit challenged at times this year, but they've given up eight less goals than the second best team. Like the Bruins have given up 12 goals. Vegas has given up 20 goals. And there's another team I think that gave up 20 as well. But as it pertains to the division, the Bruins have given up half the amount of goals Toronto's given up. So I guess what I'm saying is we all know where the Bruins are deficient, but every team has their deficiencies. Obviously, there's a couple of teams I think that are strong everywhere. Um, 
you know, Vegas being one of them, you know, Colorado, like, like Carol, there, there are teams and not everybody's played up to their capabilities so far, but as it pertains to the division, uh, I, yeah, the Bruin, their, their, their defensive team structure and their goaltending. It's so, it's so steady that, you know, it's, it's far steadier than Toronto's. Yeah. Toronto's going to be able to score more, but can they defend as well? So how does it all shake out in April? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I definitely think that, that they're capable of, of, of remaining atop the division. Yeah. I would say you mentioned defense and goaltending. Like I'd say goaltending, another treat, obviously, um, you know, it's because goaltending can be so hard to predict from year to year. It was fair to wonder if, if all market would be certainly as good as last year. I mean, last year they were like historically good. Um, you know, how much of a drop-off would there be? Would both of them get back to such a high level? And so far, they both clearly have. Um, you know, Allmark's, Allmark's out there for the collapse Thursday, but I don't I don't really think that was his fault. In fact, I think during that whole sequence where Anaheim gets those two goals late, I, I think he actually made some really good saves that, you know, we would have been talking about is like, wow, Elmark really bailed them out with those couple saves and then finally cracked. It's like you can only hold on for so long when when your team can't get the puck out and keeps giving up grade A chances. Um, so I don't I don't put that on him. But that's that's the only time this year that either goalie's given up more than two goals. Like it's it's crazy. So you know Swayman goes out and um has another great outing against Detroit, only giving up the one goal. Um made some other saves in the third period when Detroit was, was pushing, trying to tie the game, trying to get back in it. Um, you know, it was, and I looked up, this is, this is classic writer move. If you look something up and get to the bottom of it, it's bound to get thrown out the window right away. Um, so I had gone back. If Swayman had gotten a shutout, would have been his second shutout in a row would have been the second time this calendar year that he had done that. So I was like, I wonder when the last time a Bruins goalie had had two separate back-to-back shutouts in one calendar year. And I got back, found it. It was Byron Defoe in 1998. And like literally like three minutes after I found it, Detroit scored. So I, I apologize to everyone. I apologize yeah. to, to Swayman for, for ruining the shutout. That one, that one's on me. That is, that's your fault. That's mm-hmm. your fault. This one's not as sexy, but um, the penalty kill has been a treat. I've only allowed one goal, and I'm they're they're top in the league. They're at ninety seven point one percent on their penalty kill. Um, their power play, not quite, but their penalty kill has been outstanding. Um, credit to goaltending and, and defense, and some forwards that are really good penalty killers like Charlie Coyle, Pavel Zaka. Marshawn, like they have some of the best forwards, forward penalty killers in the league too. So it's looked it's looked very good so far. Not as sexy, but also no. is it also can I take the crown off? <laughs> or you is may. it is it a bit much? Have I overworn it? <laughs> you may. No, take. I think I think you have to keep it till the end of the episode, and we're gonna do forty five more minutes. So. <laughs> oh, okay, well it's starting to hurt. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll leave it on. <laughs> and ob- obviously, it goes without saying. And we we talked about it for the first you know, part of the first uh, part of this podcast. But Matt Potra is an obvious treat. We, it, it's just so obvious we didn't. None of us have said it yet, but that's obvious. 
Um, Bridget, to go along with your penalty kill, I would say John Beach has been a treat. Um, another treat has been the Bruins uh, all, uh, alternate uniforms that they wear in original six, original six nights. Uh, those are sick. Um, I, I'm not even going to go with the uh, the other uniforms right now. I actually don't mind the white ones. The black ones, I still just don't like. Those ones are a trick. I don't I don't like those. Get get those out of here. But the third jerseys are great. And the white ones are okay. Any other any other trick or treats with this Bruins team? Uh, here's just a, a little statistical trick. I think um, Derek Forbert is tied for third on the team with a plus six. Uh, I think that's a trick because I just don't think he's he's been that good five on five. Um, you know, it's it's a it is a credit to the fact that like he hasn't been on the ice for many goals against. Obviously, that that pairing with him and Shattenkirk hasn't. But if you dig a little deeper, like they have been outshot quite a bit when they've been on the ice. Um, so I think I think you'll start to see that pairing on the ice for for a few more goals against, probably. Not as many goals for, but um, yeah, that was a little surprising. Like I, I don't usually look at plus minus because I don't care about it all that much. But did notice that today that uh, forward is plus six, which is much higher than I I would have predicted. Um, the dive into the advanced stats confirmed that it's probably a bit of an outlier and a bit of a trick right now. You, you know what else I think is a trick right now and. It's kind of like the opposite of what you were just saying as far as a player that's playing well. That's a trick. Well, Hampus Lindholm, he must be a trick because he is – there aren't many minus players in the Bruins, but he is one of them. Um, minus two, three games and still with zero points. So I know he hasn't played as – I know there, there, there are statistics that – advanced stats that will tell you – uh, the contrary of what I'm saying, which is that he hasn't been great. I'm sure he's been good in certain certain statistics, but I think I think his lack of production with zero points and minus two um, that's that's a that, that's a bit of that's a a bit of a trick for sure. Um, he obviously is going to be much more improved in both of those categories. You, one would think as the year goes along. I have a trick. I know a trick. Dan Heinen got tricked. He still doesn't have a contract. <laughs> he is still with the team and doesn't have a contract. So he's been fooled all the way. So that's a different kind of trick. But he, he, He's dressing up for Halloween as a, as a Boston Bruin, but yeah. he's not on the team. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He's Two guys go down on the fourth line, and they call up Jesper Bokvis on Oscar's theme. And he's just skating around like, guys, what, <laughs> what is it's... going on? It's amazing. Like I, I usually, even if I don't understand something right away, like I usually can figure out the salary cap maneuverings and why things happen. Like Friday night uh, or Friday afternoon, maybe a uh, friend of the pod, Mark Diver tweeted out that uh, Mason, Laura and Jacob Zaboral had been called up. And I think it was Boquist and Patrick Brown got sent down and like, Everyone kind of freaked out. There's like a little mini freak out on just at least on Twitter. I don't know how far it spread, but like people were like Mason Lorai time, and I was like, hmm, let's hold off for a second here. Like I think there's something else to this, and ultimately, like I was able to piece together that it was because they wanted they needed more salary on the books to get as close to the cap as possible 
before they put Milan Lucic on long-term injured reserve. The reason they do that is because once Lucic goes on, however cl- like close you are to the cap, that allows you to go that much more over the cap once Lucic goes on. So basically, if if you're right at the cap and you put him on, you get you can go a million dollars over, like his whole salary. If you're five hundred thousand under and you put him on, you can only go five hundred thousand over. So I was like, okay, now I get that. Now that makes sense to me. This Heinen thing, there's got to be some reason for it, but I can't figure it out. Like I, I've said before, I thought maybe the Padre nine game thing had something to do with it. So like maybe Tuesday or Wednesday it happens, but I, I don't know exactly what that has to do. Like I would have thought Lucic going on LTIR would clear up whatever that issue was like having kind of the extra roster spots. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like I don't even have like a, a an educated guess at why he's still not signed, why he's just chilling, hanging around, practicing every day. And and what's even more bizarre is like, and we touched on this in the last pod was on Thursday, he was skating on the fourth line in morning at morning skate. And yeah, I re- like I was at work. I was doing the midday show and I'm like reading all of the you know, the reporting coming out of practice, I even put it in my trending. I was like, Lucic and, uh, and Lauko are going to miss uh, time, but Dan Heinen skating on the fourth line, like, we'll see if he gets a contract. Like, I literally put that in my trending. And then it just didn't, like, turn into anything. Yeah, it's – it's and because and, Jesper Boko's that day, it skated before morning skate. So, like, to me, it's, like, usually how they line up at morning skate – are there lines for that night? So I was like, oh, this looks to me like Heinen's going to get signed. Bokus is going to be here as the extra forward. Nope, still no deal. Saturday, still no deal. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe it's coming. But, you know, I'm sure it, Like, I'm sure he has to, they have to have some sort of handshake agreement because otherwise I don't know why he would just keep hanging around practicing without having a contract. But it is weird. And like, I wonder if at some point, if it drags on too long, does he just look elsewhere if there's anything else available? I wonder if on Halloween he'll get a treat because Monday is the last game to decide about Patra. Tuesday's Halloween. I don't know. Maybe Halloween <laughs> he finds out if he's been tricked this whole time. Uh, one, I got one last question for you guys. Has JBR has been great so far this year. Is that is that a is that a trick or a treat? Is that something that he we can expect for the most part of the season? I think. Well, yeah, I'll just I'll I'll let you guys go. There's one more. Okay. I think I think I think treat because I think he's playing like I don't think he's putting up points out of luck or anything. I think he's playing well, whether it's five on five or on the power play. I think he's making good thing happen. Good things happen when he's out there. He's he's around the net. He's throwing some hits. He's playing physical like. He looks good skating with the puck, so I would say treat not just because he's he's playing well, but also because you have him for only a million dollars. And what we've seen so far is is a player who clearly worth more than a million dollars. Well, looks like we had a lot more treats than tricks, really. So that's good. That's a good way I mean, to sum up that, the first eight games. That they are seven zero and one. So yeah, 
Yeah, so there you go. More more treats than tricks. Sorry, Dan Heinen. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, that probably wraps up for most things Bruins related uh, over the last. I mean, you know, we, we've been we talked about him the other day, uh, Bridget, when you were working. Scott and I did, did the last game, so we've covered a lot of tracks so far. A lot of bear tracks. Um, Bruins should should uh, should use that as a segment. Bear tracks. Oh no! Wait, they do. I think they. Time. I think they, they do. Is it? They do. They do. Yeah, it's in the summertime. They follow all the players. Yeah, around. yeah, yeah. Oh, here's Jeremy Swayman in Alaska. Bear tracks. Um. Anyway, so do you guys have any uh any other things to talk about here? Uh. Well, Joe Thornton retired, so that's uh. I mean, he had signed anywhere, but he also hadn't officially announced his retirement until Saturday. He put out a video in which he was shirtless, which is perfect. Just classic Joe Thornton. Um, you know, obviously like it was so long ago that he was a Bruin, but I, I loved Joe Thornton when he was on the Bruins and, you know, always thought that the way he kind of got buried in the, in the media and by some fans, I always thought was unfair. Um, you know, people point to like that 04 playoff series and it's like, he was playing with a separated shoulder. He was not even close to a hundred percent. Um, you know, the, the year they trade him, he wins the MVP with San Jose and and was off to a very good start to his career when he was in Boston. And in San Jose, took it to a first ballot Hall of Fame career, 12th all time in points. Like, I I wish he had won a Stanley Cup. That's obviously the, you know, the one knock that will always be on his resume. Um, closest he got was, you know, when San Jose went to the final and lost to Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, I just, I always liked watching him play. I always liked his, just like his attitude about things, which I know is part of what some people ripped him for is like, oh, he doesn't seem like he, sometimes he doesn't seem like he cares or that he's devoted or, or whatever. Like he doesn't get fired up about things. Um, I always kind of liked that he, he seemed to be the one, like that San Jose team for so many years always had, other leaders who were more serious, like a Patrick Marlowe or a Joe Pavelski. And I felt like he brought like levity and, you know, like the most famous one is when Tomas Hurdle came into the league and he uh, got off to like an incredible start and was scoring a ton and had a ton of media attention on him. And um, people like started criticizing him because he scored four goals and had like a, was like celebrating, you know, really emphatically. And Joe Thornton jumped in and famously said, like, if I scored four goals, I'd whip my dick out, like something like that. And, and it was like, it's just part, like, I just love like that kind of stuff about him. It's like, you, like, uh, you want to criticize like the kid? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm, let me step in here. Yeah. I mean, Joe Thornton was, uh, he definitely, say what you want about him in Boston, but, you know, outside of 04, he was never really on a Bruins team that like should have really won a cup uh, or 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 been close to it. Um, you know, for him, I, I would say his time in San Jose was more damning as as far as like a g- garnering a reputation for one of the best players to not win because from like 2006 to 2012 or something like that Sharks team had contenders every year and they always found a way to to bow out you know, relatively early. I mean, the year that he went to the cup finals in 16, that Sharks team, ironically, was actually not like 
that great compared to the ones from his earlier tenure in San Jose. They just found a way to kind of get there. And then Pittsburgh kind of made relatively easy work of them. But he also got – didn't he get stripped of his captainship in, in San Jose at one point too? So maybe that's also why people were kind of like questioning his leadership skills. But, you know, if the people shit on the Bruins for trading him away for Marco Sturm, uh, Brad Stewart, and, and Wayne Primo, and while none of those players I don't believe – led to a future transaction that brought in a 2011 cup player, like getting rid of Joe Thornton. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Do you think I what I I was going to say was the, um, I think Brad Stewart might've brought in Andrew Ferentz dude. Okay. Maybe I, I I didn't, I didn't look back in that, but I I feel like that might've. Well, what it did, what it did do though, regardless of like it, 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 it enabled, you know, the cap flexibility to, you know, eventually bring in, Mark Savard and Zdeno Chara and, you know, so like, like Joe Thornton moving on from Joe Thornton, you know, Brad Stewart, Marco Sturm, Wayne Primo, they aren't better than Joe Thornton. Obviously he goes to San Jose that year and wins the MVP, but it eventually did lead to the, you know, a roster that won the Stanley cup only four and a half, five calendar years later. So, yeah. Yeah. So my thought is that um, now that Joe Thornton has officially retired, and he's no longer in the running for that lost spot on the Bruins roster that Don Sweeney was waiting for. Uh, maybe Heinen has a better chance. Could you imagine if he like signed for like pennies to come to Boston? I don't know how that would go. I don't. I don't even know if he has any interest in coming back from the West Coast. Like, would he have even had interest in living anywhere near here? I, I wanted. I wanted to make sure I looked it up. So uh, I was right, and actually, it was two thirds of the deal. They the Bruins got. Um, Andrew Ferentz and Chuck Kobasu for Brad Stewart and Wayne Primo. So that was the that was the next deal. So it it ultimately in a roundabout way did did land you a uh, you know a piece in that 2011 Cup team. Um, I think that the very last thing to touch on here is uh, obviously the, the the hockey world was shocked Saturday night by the news that at Adam Johnson who played at the University of Minnesota Duluth and played some games with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2019-2020, um, died as the result of a, just a total freak accident while playing over in, over in England. Um, you know, took, took a skate to the neck, and it's just, just shocking and obviously just awful. Um, you know, we've – if you've been a hockey fan long enough, like you're, you're familiar with Clint Malarchuk, the Sabres goalie in the eighties who took a skate to the neck. I remember Richard Zednick in 2008 when he was on the Florida Panthers, scary, scary injury. Um, you know, I feel like every time like something like this happens and obviously this is very different because he died. Um, you just wonder like how it doesn't happen more often. And you wonder if, there's going to be some sort of change when it comes to neck protection, but um, yeah, just, just awful. Like I, I think it was like during the third period of the Bruins game where, or when I saw the news that there was like a serious situation and they had evacuated the arena and everything. And, you know, you're just, you're hoping there's some sort of positive update. And uh, obviously there never was. And then very early Sunday morning was when, his his team over in England confirmed that that he had passed away. 
Yeah, it's absolutely gut wrenching, and um, one of those situations, like you mentioned, Scott. It's like you you do it does make you think like just just like how you know not not this, but just like yeah, it, it it's 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 scary. It's very very scary, and obviously all parties involved like in that incident it's just you feel for for the entire situation and it's, it's there's really no there's no words for it it's it's an app it's it's a you know it's tragic it's it's very 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 sad and yeah you really kind of a loss for words really can't even really comprehend that that's that's terrible you see how many close calls there are too we saw lauco take a skate to the face just this week so like, there's close calls. I, I brought up the Morgan Barron one. If, if no one has seen what Morgan Barron's poor face looked like after he took a skate to the face and he had like 75 stitches. I don't know. It was a lot of stitches. Um, being a hockey player, he laughed about it and talked in the postgame press conference and with all the stitches freshly in his face. Um, but you, you see that kind of stuff happen and you like, because people are okay, you're, you're kind of like, Oh, that's, you know, you know, they're just tough. Like they got through it, but there are just so many close calls. I remember back when Thornton, uh, not Joe Thornton, Sean Thornton was on the team. Uh, he got one like real close to the neck. That was, and I've seen Bergeron have some near misses to the face, like in the bumper position. One time he got uh, landed on and skate came right up. Like, cause he was going down to the ice, like falling towards the ice. Um, there's a lot of times where you see the replay like in slow-mo and you're like, that was so close. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. And you know, you, you knock on wood, like you would like to think at the NHL level because there's paramedics on the scene and all, all NHL trainers, team trainers are trained in trauma care in addition to your usual hockey injuries. Um, You know, you'd like to think like, the response is always going to be quick enough and good enough that it never ends in death, but like you, you can't guarantee that. And in, in, in other leagues, and you know, we don't, we don't know anything really about the situation in England. There's, I know there's an investigation going on there and, you know, I'm sure we're going to find out stuff about, you know, was there any chance? Was there, you know, should there have been someone available? It wasn't like, whatever. Like we, we just don't know at this point, but we do know like in other leagues, it's not, there isn't always that immediate resource of a trainer who's trained in trauma or paramedics who can be there in seconds. Like, so I don't know. I, I saw um, uh, Rob Chalmers, who does a great job covering a lot of Bruins prospects Um tweeted on Sunday that several Providence Bruins players were wearing neck protection who usually don't, um, including Fabian Lysel, Jason Magna. Uh, I think there might've been one or two others he mentioned. And like, I do wonder if like, you're going to see more of that players wearing it voluntarily. And I wonder if you're going to see leagues, um, you know, talk about mandating it or, you know, whatever, because obviously it's, you know, it, it catches your it catches your attention anytime one of these incidents happen. But obviously, when it results in death, it's really you know another another level. Yeah, and you know, as a as a player, it's just something that you don't even think about normally, right? Like this, an event like this, just really it it, it 
slaps you right across the face. It's it's as a player, it's the last thing on your mind when you're playing hockey that something like that could happen. Um, you know, I, I absolutely hated wearing neck guards when I was playing. It's like when I got to a certain age, I was like, take this thing off me. Like you know, the Velcro gives me a rash. Like it makes it, it, it like makes you think it's harder to breathe when you're skating in practice. Like when you're doing conditioning, it's like, get this, like, you know what I mean? It makes you feel like you can breathe easier. Um, and, and you, your mind just never goes there. It never goes there. And especially when you're playing, things happen so fast. It's the last thing on your mind. And, and there's nothing you can really do from a gameplay perspective. Like it's, you're always going to have blades in your skates and the game goes quick. So it's like the only thing that you can do to prevent something like that again is yeah. Like mandating, you know, neck guards and stuff. And, oh my God, what a, what a, what a tragic, tragic story it is. But, um, oh my God. Yeah. And I know, and you know, I know at least Bauer and probably other companies, they make the, the shirts that come up over the neck with like the same sort of, cut protection you like you can have like around your wrist or, or legs so there's different options other than just the traditional neck guard that you know we probably wore growing up but you're right i mean like i you know i mentioned the zednik thing like to me i i guess like i was probably aware of clinton malarchuk before that but the zednik one was the first one i remember seeing and being like holy crap like like that's like an actual thing that can happen in a hockey game because and by that time, like I was eighteen, and I was basically done playing competitively at that point in my life. Um, but I was like, "Yeah, you're right." Like growing up, it's like never crossed my mind. Never thought about it. I I never had a close call playing. I don't remember ever seeing one. So it's just like out of sight, out of mind until it until it happens, and it's like right there in front of you. Mm. All right. Well, um, obviously. Uh... That's a that's a sad note to end on, but it's it's you know it's a rel it's obviously um you know it's 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 current event and it's something that happened and yeah it's 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 very very terrible so um I guess we'll just probably wrap it up here uh, any any final thoughts for either one of you before we we we, we close out here Florida no. rematch that's mm -hmm. we the, what we have next so yeah we'll be we'll be recording after that and. You know, we, we might take some questions for that. Probably won't be a full mailbag episode, but if people have any anything they want to send in, um, skatepod at wei.com, at the skatepod on Twitter, or wei on YouTube, uh, you can leave comments on our video too. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Enjoy. Have a happy and safe Halloween if you're doing something with your with your family or your, your kids or whatnot. Um, or you're an adult and you like trick-or-treating yourself. There's nothing weird about that at all. But, uh, um, but anyway, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you very soon.